Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, as we begin reading tonight in verse 15. We've been off of Galatians for a few weeks now, and I almost feel like I ought to go back and just rehash all that we've already done, but I don't have time to do that, because uh, we would be here a while tonight if I did that. <clears throat> But just suffice it to say, Paul has been dealing with problems that have arisen in Galatia because the people have turned away from the clarity of the gospel. They've, if you will, returned to the law. And they started living by the law again, or at least partially so, and forgetting that their salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And, and, and Paul is upset about this. Paul is... I mean, he's, he's fired up, if you read this. Uh, how can you so quickly depart from that which you were given? How can you turn your back on the truth? And so, so Paul is making this a, mer- a very important issue that he's dealing with. And he's shown how it's through faith that righteousness comes, that even Abraham, the very patriarch, the father of, the, of Israel, uh, was not saved by his works, but he was saved by faith. Even before the cross, before the gospel, before Jesus Christ came into the world. So all that's important to remember. Then we come to this passage tonight, starting verse 15. And I'll just I tell you, it's a, it's a difficult passage to just even read. Uh, because the way Paul's phraseology goes and everything, it, you kind of scratch your head at a couple of times. But I think it's very understandable as you think through it clearly. Paul is dealing with the intent of the law. These, these people, because the Judaizers have gone back again to look at the law as the basis of their spirituality. And once again, Paul is going to show them that is not what the law was given for. You must understand this. And he's beating this into their head as clearly as he can. Follow along as I read, starting verse 15 and reading through verse 24 tonight. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though, it's only, even though it is... Only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, that is after the promise to Abraham, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. That's important. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God is granted to Abraham by means of a promise. Granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? Why did God give it, Paul says? If, if salvation is based on a promise, and the promise was made to Abraham, and the law that was given through Moses does, uh, does not invalidate that promise or invalidate that message that came through, uh, through Abraham, then why give the law? It's a legitimate question. Paul said it was added because of transgressions having been ordained through, the, through angels by the agency of a mediator. 
until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise of faith by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now Paul starts out with an analogy. And it's an analogy drawn from the customs of men. He even begins by saying, listen, I, I speak here in human terms, in terms of human relations. I'm trying to draw you a picture, he says, that even you will understand. He says, if two people make a covenant and the covenant has been ratified, you do not set it apart. And not only that, you do not come back later and add more conditions to it. You don't come and say, well, now, I, I know we agreed on this. I know we agreed that thus and such would take place. But it just seems to me like we ought to add these other conditions. We ought to add these other things to it now that would benefit me. Paul said, no, once a covenant, or in our vernacular, although it, it's not quite the same, but I think we can kind of draw an analogy here to it. In our, in our day, a contract, once a contract has been signed, once a covenant has been signed, it is sealed. It is set, and one party can't come in and start making changes. He even indicates here that even God himself doesn't do that. But he said, I want you to understand this in human terms because it's important to see that God has not invalidated that which he promised through Abraham 430 years before the law was ever given. What was it he promised? Well, Paul says that he promised that... that uh, uh, in, in the, uh, that in, through Abraham and through his seed, singular, would, would come salvation, would come relationship with God, would come something specific. Now, a lot of people looked at that in, even in Moses' day and biblical days. So that seed was who? Who did they think it was, perhaps? Isaac. They thought it was Isaac because Isaac was the... The, the son of promise, the one who, who had been given. But Isaac was not the seed which is being talked about here. Isaac was in the line of that seed. Isaac was a part of seeing that seed produced. But Paul says here, what many people didn't understand is the seed that was promised was not a, a, a natural born son to Abraham, but it was one that would come generations later. It was the Messiah. It was the promised one. It was the Christ. He says, listen, he didn't say many seeds. He didn't say a lot of seeds. He didn't say, but he said there was one seed, and to your seed, that is Christ. <clears throat> now, the important thing to understand is here, if Abraham was saved by faith, and then 430 years later, the law was given, that did not change how salvation came about that was established 
in Abraham, and indeed even established before Abraham in some ways, but especially we see it illustrated in Abraham. So Paul is saying, just because the law was given doesn't mean the promise has been invalidated. We're still looking for that Messiah. They were still looking for the one to come, even though many of them didn't realize that. They, they didn't understand. They thought, okay, now the law is here. Now the law is what we must be, be saved by. The law is, must what, is what we must, be, must abide by. And, and Paul is saying here, that is an absolute gross misunderstanding of both the gospel and the law. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot have a, a promise and then it be mediated or, or fulfilled by law or even negated by law. He said, what I'm saying is this. The law was given 430 years later not to invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God and not to nullify the promise. For the inheritance, if the inheritance is based on law, it can't be based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Now, we could probably spend a lot of time talking about the difference in how we come to that, understand this truth of God that comes by promise as opposed to that which comes by law. But, but I think we get an understanding of that. The promise is by grace. The promise is by the work of God. The promise is by His initiation and His working in the lives of those whom will see the Messiah and believe in the Messiah in years to come. Law is man-centered. Law is what I can do. Law is that false religion that we talked about this morning that is a religion of, of human achievement. So Paul said, I want you to understand this. This is important. We draw out of these customs of men. We draw, I draw this picture out of that so that you can understand why the law was important, but why the law was not uh, ultimate. Uh, if you were on the men's retreat this weekend, you heard uh, Randy Stinson make a statement that the, uh, the first mention of the gospel was back in the book of Genesis. It was back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, when God was cursing the serpent. And he said to the serpent, you know, you shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. You know, that was the first mention of the promise in all of the scripture. It's called the pro-egulion, evangelion. It's, it's, a, it's a pro or a previous statement before the good news came, before the gospel came, it was, a, it was a promise of that which was to come. And God said to Satan, you may bruise his heel. And his heel was bruised on the cross. But he will crush your head. He will destroy you and he will defeat you to the ultimate manner. Now bring that forward to Abraham. Abraham had the promise that his seed would be the source of that crushing that his seed would be the source of that blessing. And so the promise goes right by the law, right through the law, and the law is there for a purpose, but the law does not negate the promise. It does not negate the good news of the gospel. So Paul anticipates a question, verse 19. I love how Paul does this, especially in Galatians and in, in Romans, where he anticipates a question that people are thinking. And okay, if, if it's by promise... And if the law has nothing to do with our justification, nothing to do with our salvation, then why the law? I mean, why did God give the law? And Paul says, quite frankly, it was given because of transgressions. It was given because of the transgressions that were there, the sin that was there, the disobedience was there, that was there. And he, he says 
three things about this that I find quite intriguing a little bit, I think. He says, first of all, it has been added because of transgressions. The law was not a part of the original covenant. It was added to it. It was added to the revelation of God because of the sin that was being seen in the lives of men and women who were supposedly in a covenant relationship. So it was, it was not only added though, but the legal system was a temporary arrangement. He says on down in verse 19 a little further, he said it was added until, excuse me, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. So it was a, it was a temporary thing. It wasn't, to be, it wasn't to be permanent. The law had a temporary purpose. Now, when we think of something as temporary, we tend to think about it in terms of a few days or a few weeks or maybe a couple of months. That's a temporary thing for you and me. The law was temporary, although it, it spanned thousands of years. And, you know, if we think of something being around a thousand years, we think of it being fairly permanent, don't we? Well, you know, that's a long time. But, but Paul says it's still temporary, even though it's been around. And, and you know, we, we think of our nation. We, our nation's, what, 233 or so years old? And we think of it as just a permanent, established thing. It's always been here, as far as we can remember anyway. But if you go over to Europe and go to some of the cities and some of the states over there and some of the governments, they've been around for thousands, hundreds of years, or the cities anyway, for thousands of years. What's new, over, what's new over there is we would consider very old over here in some places. It's temporary. Paul says, I want you to understand that it was added and it was added to be temporary, and it was given by, through the angels by the agency of a mediator. Now, that's an interesting statement that Paul makes there, given through angels by, the, uh, by, the, uh, by a mediator, the agency of a mediator. And he's talking there about how it was given on, on Mount Sinai, how it was given to Moses, when in God's presence, the angels came and ministered and gave the law. But the mediator was, was not for one party only, whereas God is only one. In other words, even though it was mediated, and even though it was given to try to, try to have a purpose in God's revelation, God's plan, it doesn't affect the promise of God one iota. So notice that, because that's very, very important. As a matter of fact, Paul says the law was given to expose sin as a transgression. That's what he's dealing with here. He's saying it was given that sin might be exposed. It was temporary. It was even imperfect, an imperfect system. God never expected the law to bring about righteousness. God never expected the law to set us all straight. The law was given for a very specific reason until the seed would come. Then in verse 21, Paul asked another rhetorical question, if you will. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Okay, if the law is not the promise, and if the promise supersedes the law, and the law is just added on temporarily for a, re for a season because of transgressions, because of sin, then is the law contrary to the promises? Paul says, may it never be. Heavens, no. For if the law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness 
would indeed have been based on the law. But it wasn't. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Paul is saying in verses 21 through 24 some very important things here. First of all, he's saying, understand that the law is preparatory. The law was given to be preparatory. Preparatory for what? Preparatory for the coming of Christ, for the coming of the gospel. The law was given as, a, as two things Paul uses as illustrations here. He says the law was a jailer, basically. That's the word that, that he uses there when he talks about being shut up. He said... Um, but the scripture, verse 22, but the scripture has shut up. It has jailed everyone under the law so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In other words, the law serves as a jailer to hold us in captivity until the promise and the gospel will set us free. The law is a, the law is a burden. The law is a difficult thing. The law doesn't build any righteousness in us. All the law does is tell us over and over and over again how unrighteous we are and how unavailable, how unable we are to do what God has called us to do. The law is given as a jailer to shut us up, to hem us in, and to hold us until the promises come and the promise of faith in Jesus Christ can be given to those who believe. Paul says that's important to understand. The law is a jailer. Secondly, he says, the law is a tutor. Verse 23, he goes on to talk about the jailer being kept under custody. He said, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. You see there, he, he talks about it's just holiness. It's, it's holiness until we see the faith, until the revelation of Christ comes. It's holding us and keeping us where we need to be, at least putting some restraints on us. Therefore, the law has become not just our jailer, but also our tutor, our pedagogos, our tutor, one that teaches us, one that instructs us. The law has become our teacher with one emphatic purpose, and that is to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now, you really can't just read over that quickly. You've got to think about what Paul is saying there when he talks about the law being our tutor, our schoolmaster, our teacher. He's showing us here that the law is not bad. Indeed, the law is good. The law has a purpose. But the purpose is not to save us. The purpose is not to give us righteousness. The purpose is not for us to have a list, a checklist, that we can go down and check off and say, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I must be all right. That's not the purpose of the law. The law is to instruct us and to teach us what our needs are. It's to instruct us and to teach us 
what is what is really going on in our life and and, and where Christ has, when Christ has come and been revealed as He has already, as the gospel has been seen, now the law is to be one big era. Like out on the street. If you go downtown Somerset, there's a couple of places where you'll go and you'll see an era that points and it has two words on it and it says one way. The era points. That's what the law is for. The law is to say, listen, one way. This is the way which you are to go. This is the path which you are to follow. This is the truth which abides above everything else. It is the truth that never ends, never dies, and never fades away. It is the promise that was given to Abraham and was not superseded by the law. It is the promise that is in Christ on the cross at Calvary. It is the gospel. It is the gospel. And that gospel sets us free. The law enslaves us. The law jails us. The law holds us and shuts us up and holds us in abeyance. But the, but the gospel sets us free. The gospel opens the doors of the prisons and says, By faith you can be righteous. You can be declared righteous by God Himself. By faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what the promise was. That's the promise that was made to Abraham. That was promise that was made through the prophets. That is the promise that the, the, the Israelites thought they were looking for, but they never quite understood it because they thought the jailer and they thought the tutor was going to be the end all. They thought that was going to be what they really needed. They thought that was, that was just fine, that they could somehow work their way into a relationship with God on their own terms and on their own strength. And Paul says you need to understand the intent of the law coming later as it did after the promise was never ever to give righteousness. Now, if, if the law could give righteousness, he said, then, then that'd be fine. It would have been, it'd been based upon the law. If it was able to give life, then righteousness would be based upon the law. But it can't. Now, why is that important in our day-to-day? -day? Why is that important for us to get that right? For one simple reason. We still live in a day that tries to negotiate with God and tries to say, if I live up to this, God, will you do this? And God, if I can do this, will I be all right with you? And we, we negotiate on the basis of the law. And that's so binding that's so enslaving, even to those who are Christians. Freedom comes through faith. Freedom comes in Christ. Freedom comes by faith alone. When the jailhouse is broken open and the tutor, we'll see next week as we look at this, the tutor is no longer needed. We don't need, we don't need him anymore except for one thing. Sometimes we forget the tutor keeps pointing us one way, pointing us in the right direction, pointing us to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the law is good for. Now, for a Christian, we, we can, there's a sense in which we can honestly say we don't need the law. There's a sense in which we can say that. 
Because we are in Christ and we have been given life and righteousness and we are following Him. But there's a sense in which we do understand that we need to know what the law is all about because we need to be showing people their need for a Savior. And we need to be reminded that it was only through the Savior that we have life. And the law does that. We'll talk about what Paul says next week when he, when he makes that statement. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Why is that? Well, it's because we are now heirs. We are now sons of God, children of God. We are now a part of the union with Christ. And it's made, an all, it's made a complete change in every area of our life. Paul says, listen. God's promise stands. And God's promise is the gospel. It is the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful tonight that we can gather together. Think about this truth. And it is truth, Lord. Truth that sets us free. Truth that is based on Christ and Christ alone. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we do pray again tonight, even as Brother Todd has led us in such a meaningful time of prayer for the, for the ingathering. I pray, Father, that you will prepare our hearts to be obedient to you in those gifts. Thank you now, Father, for our time together this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Go ahead and cut the tape.